I want to, uh, I just want to reflect a little more on the fact that this is a challenging time, almost goes without saying now, um, but just as, as the nights are drawing in and the weather's terrible um, and uh, obviously it, it, parts of the country are in really strict lockdown, um, not, not here in Watford yet, but um, things do feel pretty chaotic. And it can feel very discouraging and it can also feel quite disorientating. How, how do we navigate life at the moment and how do we do that well? How do we make good decisions each day? Where do we find peace? Um, how can we choose the paths that lead us towards wholeness and fullness of life? And when sailors are out at sea in the olden days before satellite navigation, um, they used to navigate at least in part by the stars and particularly the North Star. Um, when they were, they had no idea where they were, they would look up, they would find the North Star, that would lead them to true north, and it would help them work out where they were, where they were going, and how they were going to get there. And uh, our family history, the history of the church, is one of having to navigate and learn how to do life well when everything around seems chaotic and they feel a bit lost. Um, our brothers and sisters in Jesus have gone there ahead of us, um, over the years. And in the New Testament church, the early church, they were constantly being urged to look to their version of the North Star, our version of the North Star, to Jesus himself. And time after time after time in the letters to Christians who were undergoing persecution, they were, they were encouraged to fix their, fix their eyes, to put, as it were, the attention of their minds and the attention of their hearts on to Jesus. So that's what we need to be doing. That's what we want to be doing. Uh, the, the question I want to ask is, how do we do that? You know, how do we? Really practically, how might we go about putting our attention onto Jesus in the midst of all the chaos? And over the last six months, we've talked about different ways that, that we can do that. So one might be to worship him. Another would be prayer. You know, Mike, um, about a month and a half ago, talked about prayer and different ways we can pray and praying in the spirit. Um, another way that we can do that is silence and solitude, which we've talked about quite a few times. And I want to talk about another really practical thing that we can be doing that will help us put our attention onto Jesus. And it is reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. Um, why read the Bible? Well, there's a conversation, an argument really, that Jesus has with the Pharisees. This is in John's Gospel, again, John chapter 5. And uh, in it, he says something to them that I think just gives us a real insight into his view of Scripture, his view of um, the Bible, which for, for, uh, in Jesus' time was the Old Testament. He says this in John chapter 5, verse 39. You study the Scriptures diligently. This is him talking to the Pharisees. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, the Pharisees have a unique problem. They are, um, in many ways, the, 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 the most diligent Bible scholars in the history of the world. They would memorize huge chunks of the law. They would, uh, they would debate it constantly. They would try and implement as much as they could of it in every single way. And Jesus is saying, your problem is this. You read the Bible a lot, and yet you have completely missed the point. They are like people who, uh, who study a map really carefully, but never go to the destination. 
They're like people who go into a restaurant and read the menu, but never order any food. They're like people who get an invitation to a party and they memorize the invitation and they stick the invitation up on the fridge, but they never actually go to the party. Um, it's, it's like, boy, have they missed the point. If you read it, you study a map in order to go to a place and you look at a menu in order to order the food and enjoy it and you get an invitation so that you can experience the party. The point is those things are not an end in themselves. They, they lead you somewhere else. They lead you to something. And Jesus is saying, that's your problem with the scripture. You're just studying and studying and studying the scripture and you're never, you, you don't realize that it points to me. In fact, you refuse to come to me. And their mistake um, and, and what they were doing wrong, it can teach us how to do it right. We can learn from what they didn't do. And I think one of the things that Jesus is saying here about scripture is the reason we read it is because it points us to him. They read it and they refused to come to him. So the way that we might read the Bible in a good way is to read it in order to come to him. And it's really hard to keep attention on Jesus, um, let alone you know, outside of the time that we're going through, but particularly in it where from the moment we open our phone first thing in the morning, this wall of noise hits us and it con continues to sort of barrage us until we close our eyes last thing at night. And uh, Jesus is saying, when you open up the pages of this book, what they do is they help your attention, the attention of your heart, come to me. If I was to say uh, one reason why we want to be reading our Bibles. And I know for lots of us, this is just a reminder, but the reason would be relationship. It's about relationship with Jesus. It's not about reading the Bible for reading the Bible's sake. Not so we can cross it off our list of chores to do or so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's about having a healthy, thriving relationship with God. Before, um, before I got married, I asked this guy who I really respected um, to give me his top three secrets to a great marriage. And his top three secrets on how to have a great marriage were this. Number one, communication. Number two, communication. Number three, communication. And then to really make the point, he walked away from me going, communication, communication, communication. Um, and I've never forgotten that. Like the, the key to not just a great marriage, but any great relationship is communication. And of course, communication is not simply an exchange of information. It's sharing hearts. It's really getting to know how the other person thinks. It's understanding what their hopes and their, their dreams are. Um, and, and getting to that place. Now, what happens, and I'm sure we've all experienced this in the last six months, is when we're under pressure and when we're stressed, when things are difficult, communication becomes harder. Um, and, and miscommunication and the opportunities for there to be miscommunication between two people become greater. And so although it's, it's counterintuitive, the harder things are, the more intentional we have to become about communication. And the Bible is God's primary method of communication to us. It's not the only way he speaks. Scripture makes clear that God speaks in a whole load of ways, but it's the primary way that he speaks and it's the place that he speaks with most authority. And so the reason we want to read it is because we want to have healthy relationships with God. A healthy relationship with him involves communication. 
the harder things are, the more intentional we have to be about communication. And so the more challenging a time we're living through, the more, in a way, disciplined we need to become to read his book. Again, not for the sake of discipline, but because we want to have a healthy relationship. Um, one of the things that has really helped me as, in my approach to the Bible is kind of um, trying to get the fact that these are words from God. They're not just words about God, although they are that. They're words from him, the scripture. And so the Bible is, is very much a human book. It is written by human beings. Um, they're writing in a particular culture. They're writing with a particular aim in mind. Their humanity fills uh, the words. They are, uh, the, the scripture is full of stories and songs. It's full of history and it's full of law. So it is a human book, absolutely. And we have to read it accordingly. We have to interpret it. Uh, we have to do the hard work of trying to understand what the author was trying to communicate. It's a human book. And yet at the same time, it is also 100% inspired by God. And we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed. What that means is the scripture is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. The other thing that we're told, uh, Jesus kind of references it in this passage from John chapter 5. In the course of his conversation with the Pharisees, you know, they're saying, Who, who's going to sort of back you up when you make these big claims about yourself? And Jesus' response is, God the Father. God the Father's going to back me up. And he testifies about me. And then he goes on to say, you study the scriptures thinking that in them you find life and you don't realise the scripture points to me. And the implication is of that, very, very strong implication is that the scriptures are the words of my father. The scripture is the words of my God, God the Father and he's pointing to me. And so when we read the Bible, when we come to it, one of the things that I'm trying to bear in mind at the moment is God the Spirit inspired these words. They are the testimony of God the Father and they point us towards God the Son. These words are from God. And um, not just about him, although they are about him. When we understand that, then for me, it helps me get a little bit more how reading the Bible is about relationship. So again, think about it like this. Imagine I got a book in the post and it was about Ed Sheeran. It was like a really well-researched biography of Ed Sheeran. And I read this book about Ed Sheeran and, uh, and then I learned all this information about Ed Sheeran. I might feel like I got to know Ed Sheeran's personality a little bit. I might feel like I knew him as a person. And then imagine I came to you and I said, hey, I've got a friendship with Ed Sheeran. And you said to me, well, on what basis do you have this kind of relationship with Ed Sheeran? And then I came back to you and I said, because I've read a book about him. What would you say? You'd say, oh, nice try, Andy, but no cigar. That is, that's not actually a relationship. Um, if I said that, you would be right uh, to say it's not a relationship because I've just read a book about him. Now imagine this. Uh, imagine I got a book in the post and this wasn't a book about Ed Sheeran. It was a book from Ed Sheeran to me, Andy Croft. And in this book, he, Ed Sheeran, is explaining to me all about his, his life and he's explaining to me about his inner thought processes. And he's talking to me about his dreams and the sort of the things he wants to achieve and explaining to me about some of his song lyrics. Imagine I read that book and then I came to you and I said, hey, I've got a relationship with Ed Sheeran. I've got a friendship with him. Um, we'd be getting a little bit closer. 
And you might think, okay, well, if, if Ed's personally written all of this to you and you've read that and pondered that and thought about this, I can see why you would say a little bit more that you've got this kind of friendship with Ed Sheeran going on. That makes a bit more sense. We're starting to get a little closer to what we mean when we say the Bible's key to healthy relationship with God. It's a book from him. But then there's another step. Imagine I get this book from Ed Sheeran. And at the back of the book that he's written, he puts his phone number in and he says, call me anytime. And, uh, and then what I start to do is I start to read this book from him and then I'm ringing him all the time being like, Ed, tell me more. This is fascinating. Or Ed, I'm not sure about this lyric. I don't understand what you meant by that. Or Ed, could you expand a little bit more on, uh, on what you mean by this? And then you said, and I came to you and I said, hey, I have a relationship with Ed Sheeran. And you said, what's the basis of that? And I said, well, he's written this book. It's from him. And, uh, and the other thing is I talk with him all the time about it. Then you'd say, oh, that does sound like a friendship. When we come to the Bible, this is a book that is from him. And uh, it's the only living book we'll ever read. It's inspired by the living Holy Spirit. But it's not just that we're studying words about God, it's from God. But here's the other part of it. We get to talk to God about this book all the time. It's like an invitation to come to him. And so what we mean when we say the Bible's the key to healthy relationship with God is we mean it's a book from him. And, and every page I can just say, Lord, what do you mean by this? Jesus, I don't understand this. Or Lord, I praise you for this and I worship you because of what I've seen here. That's how relationship with him works. And you see how foundational this is for that relationship. When we get that it's from him, <clears throat> it puts a whole new spin onto Bible study. Now, I know not all Bible studies are like this, but um, the, the danger can be for, for some of us that Bible studies just become an academic exercise and there's nothing wrong with studying the Bible in an academic context. It's good to do that, but that's not where it's meant to stop. And we can make it all about, let's pick apart and let's pull apart some information about God. And again, it's when we get these words from him, I think it changes our approach. So um, think about it again in terms of a relationship. When a couple start, uh, start dating, which almost always happens online in these days, uh, what happens is they, you know, they message each other. And um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty aware that when my friends are starting to fall in love with somebody and they, they send each other these messages, whether it's on the dating website or they've exchanged numbers and they're texting now, then um, what happens is there's an awful lot of analysis about those messages, right? And... Um, uh, the analysis is not born from sort of like a, a desire to get information. It's about relationship. So um, she might send you a message. You're like, what does she mean by this? And so what I would do is I would, I would ring a friend if I was in that situation. She's just said this. What do you think she means? She only put two kisses this time. Last time I got five kisses. Where have I gone wrong? Is it, you know, is she sending me a secret subtle message? And you break it down. You analyze everything that they say. Now you don't do that. For, um, for messages from any, just anybody, but when it's a message from her, you, 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 you take apart every word. Well, that's a bit more of a picture of what Bible study is. When we read John's Gospel together in the, in the, the couple of weeks um, time when we start that, that's what it, we're gonna get to do. 
we can do it with a friend. And we can read through John and, and there'll be bits that we're like, I don't understand this. I don't know what Jesus is talking about here. And so we ring each other and we say, what does he mean by this? What is he getting at? What do you think it's What do you think he's saying? And we can talk to him, but we talk to each other and try and understand the heart of what it is that God is saying to us. Um, finally, when we understand that it's relational, then we begin to get that this is about me having a relationship with God and therefore I can expect him to challenge me through it. I can expect it to be a two-way relationship. So um, think about it like, like parents and, and kids. What every parent has at some point in their life is this experience where they, take, so they say to their child, don't do this. And for me, it generally looks like, no, Josiah, you can't play five hours of Mario in a row. No, Judah, you can't eat your 25th chocolate bar today. And I know I'm saying that because I know, um, I know that it's not good for them. And I really do know that it's not good for them. I'm bigger than them and wiser than them for the time being. And uh, I know that I only have their best interests at heart. You know, I am not kicking off a tantrum because I enjoy seeing them screaming and shouting. I'm doing it because I want the best for them. So I'm willing to go through the pain of them screaming and shouting in order to get the best. I don't know if you can identify with that feeling of trying to help somebody because you know what's best for them and uh, being willing to challenge them in order to do so. I think God knows that feeling more than anybody because through his word, he guides and directs our lives. He shows us the way that's best to live and he knows the way that's best to live. And there are times when we read the scripture and it says live in this way with your body or live in this way with your money or choose to forgive this person. I don't know about you, but there's, there's a part of me that's just, I don't want to do that. I think this way might be better or everyone else around me is doing it this way, so I think I might do it that way. And God will challenge us. And, and that's not because he's he just trying to be pedantic. It's not because he wants to give us a list of rules. It's because he's committed to us in relationship. And he's committed to our thriving in it. And we come to his word um, to allow us in part to hear his voice challenging us and calling us onwards. And if we don't have that as an approach, then what the danger is, is we miss out. Because what it can be tempting to, to do is to remove all those passages that we find challenging or that convict us or that tell us to live in a way that we don't find particularly attractive and to step away from that. And actually, if we begin to do that, then what's happening is not that God through his word is changing us into his image, but rather we are trying to break God down into becoming something that's in our image. We're taking the line of the tribe of Judah and trying to reimagine him into some kind of pet poodle. He will challenge us. And uh, that's because he loves us. And the main way, and I'll finish with this, the main way he will argue with us, I suspect, as well as it being about don't do this and maybe do do that, even if you don't want to do it, uh, he'll challenge us and argue with us in all sorts of other ways as well. Here's one way. Some of us don't think we're worth very much at all. We have pretty low self-worth. And uh, do you know what? When we read the scripture, God will argue with us on that. And he'll say to us, no, 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 this is what you're worth. When it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, I gave my son for you, that's what you're worth. 
Some of us, uh, we don't think the future's going to come to much. Well, God will argue with us about that. He'll say, I work all things together for the good of those who love me. In me, there's always hope. For some of us, there are things that we think are impossible. Well, God will argue with us about that. And he'll say, with me, nothing is impossible. And the, the world around us, the noise of it, will tell us you can't trust the promises of God. Well, God will argue with us about that. And he'll say, I'm always faithful. Why do we open up the book? Because of relationship and because it leads us to him. When we look at John's gospel, the point is not John's gospel. The point is the one of whom it speaks and points us to, Jesus Christ. And we're going to start doing that together in a couple of weeks, but we don't need to wait a couple of weeks to start reading the word now. Let's start doing it today because of relationship and because it draws us to him.